Did you know that women weighing greater than 198 pounds, or 90 kilos for those who are so inclined for European units, have a high risk of pregnancy on all forms of hormonal contraception? I didn't. And now that I do know, I cannot imagine telling a patient that she is too overweight to go on a pill. Fortunately, we have an expert on the show that can help us with this delicate problem. You are listening to ReachMD, XM157. We are the channel for medical professionals. In this show, we will be discussing controversies in contraception. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Michael Benson, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University in Chicago. With me today is Dr. Robert Hatcher. Dr. Hatcher is a professor of gynecology and obstetrics at the Emory University School of Medicine. Many in our audience will recognize him as a lead author of Contraceptive Technology, perhaps the most comprehensive book on contraception available. First written by Dr. Hatcher in 1967, the book is in the 19th edition and will become available shortly. Welcome, Dr. Hatcher. We are pleased to have you on the show. Well, it's certainly nice to be with you, Dr. Benson. The first question that I have is elevated body mass index associated with lower efficacy of hormonal contraceptives? Well, we certainly have data with regard to the patch, that the patch is less effective because a high percentage of the pregnancies occurred in the women who were over, well, if you want to round it off, 200 pounds or more. So that's the group that we say, if you're very, very overweight, then you should use another backup contraceptive as well. But you can use the patch. The patch is still very effective with a woman who weighs 200 pounds. It's just that it's wise for her. And there may be specific things about the patch, the adhesive of the patch, and the thickness of the skin that make overweight women particularly vulnerable to failures with the patch. Now, there are some data, and they're very conflicting data, I might say, with regard to failures in very heavy women using the pill. And so, you know, if you wanted to be sound a note of caution, you might say to a woman who was heavy that she might want to consider using a backup contraceptive. Some people have put people who are overweight on a high-dose pill. I do not think that's a wise idea. I don't think that the data justify going up to higher-dose pill on the basis of weight. For the purpose of this discussion, what are we calling a high-dose pill? 50 micrograms of ethanyl estradiol? Oh, that's very high, yeah. I mean, I literally, I've not used a 50-microgram pill for 25 years. I mean, I just virtually never used them. I mean, they were used as emergency contraceptive pills way back when, but um, for the ordinary garden variety woman, it's probably not wise to do. There is one group for whom that's sometimes recommended, and that is people using a drug that causes the breakdown of pills more rapidly, and there are a bunch of them, and those people probably are not a good candidate for using oral contraceptive pills. But if they do use pills, they might want to be using a higher dose pill. But as I say, I don't recommend that. I would recommend using a condom. Because we have evidence that people using a 50 microgram pill ovulate when they're using some of the drugs, the anti-seizure medications. The anti-seizure medicines are the most common for our audience. It's not really most antibiotics. That is, in terms of reducing efficacy of the pill, are actually 
enhancing the body's uh, metabolism of the pill. It's really the anti-seizure medicines that are the biggest group of drugs that are a concern. Is that correct? Right. And the problem there is that those same drugs, it turns out, are used for a number of other indications. So we used to say those are the anti-epileptic drugs, the AEDs, but they're also used for everything from anxiety to insomnia. They're used for a lot of things now, in addition for seizures. So it's a little broader (laughs) range of uh, uses than just seizures, but they're the same medications, yeah. As far as the patch goes, if the patient says, well, the reason I want to go on a patch is because I hate using barrier methods and I don't want an IUD. Doctor, I'm 250 pounds. How reduced is the patch in terms of efficacy because of my weight? Is there any way to answer that? Yeah, it's very effective. It's not in the highest level of effectiveness. But, you know, it's interesting that that's what we call combined pills, very effective. They're not in the most effective uh, group either because there's so many missed pills. And we may want to discuss that later, but the data from the University of Michigan and University of North Carolina found that 50% of women miss three or more pills out of the third cycle of starting pills, 50%. And it's going up from the first cycle so that one of the reasons to use the patch is because it's easier for the person to put one on, take it off, put one on, do that three times. The patch is just easier to remember. Yeah, it's easy to remember, so that it may make up for the difference. So I'd say it's effective. It's less effective if you weigh 250 pounds, and you may want to reconsider whether you use that. By the way, one thing always to keep in mind in terms of contraceptive effectiveness is that if a person has one failure using a method, then positive thinking might make her think, well, I can do better the next time, but the reality is that people make the same mistakes over and over and over again. You know, I've seen a woman that returned to the pills four times and had four pregnancies using pills. I've seen people that had contraceptive failures using almost every method. And so that becomes a less desirable method of birth control to use than something else. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD XM157 the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Dr. Robert Hatcher, co-author of 19 editions of Contraceptive Technology. Today we are discussing controversies in contraception. Before we leave the subject of the patch, there's another controversy about the patch, and as a private practitioner, I don't really know how to interpret this. A lot of the controversy comes from the pharmaceutical reps of the pill manufacturers. What about the increased hormonal delivery of the patch? There was some recent FDA advisory that the patch delivers more estrogen. How concerned should clinicians be? Is this a reason not to prescribe the patch? If a woman uses a patch, she is getting 4.1 times the total dose, the area under the curve we call it, as a woman using a vaginal ring and about twice the dose as a person using a 30-microgram pill. So there is some rationale for, hey, maybe there's a real problem with the patch. And what happened was the Associated Press found, using the Freedom of Information Act, a number of deaths in the 20s of people using the patch. 
Okay, that led to a big scare. I mean, a huge scare. And the problem was there was some double counting of those deaths. There was no assurance that it caught all the deaths. And there was no number of people using the patch on the denominator. So it was entirely what an epidemiologist would call numerator data. There were some people who died using the patch. There was no knowledge as to how many million women were using the patch at that time. So that it was one of those situations where it was very frightening for both physicians and for their patients, particularly for their patients, to get this on television and newspapers and so forth. Now, about a year and several months later, a paper was published that showed there was no increased risk. A well-done study by a researcher who's done lots of the studies showing the danger of pills and contraceptives. It was a study that showed no increased risk of heart attacks, strokes, or deep vein thromboses. That would include clots and pulmonary clots in women using the patch compared to women using the pill. None. So the 200% increase in estrogen delivery, it seems to be the case compared to the common pill, but it hasn't been linked to increased morbidity or mortality. Is that a fair statement? That's what this first published study uh, showed. Now, there has been talk about another study that found no increase in heart attacks, no increase in strokes, but a twofold increase in deep vein thromboses. That study has never been published. So there are no well-done studies that show an increased risk for anything with the patch. Now, we do have data on uh, symptoms. There are more symptoms associated with use of the patch than with use of the pills, uh, headaches and breast tenderness and nausea, but those are not lethal complications. What about Depo-Provera and osteoporosis? Of late, there's concern that for people on Depo-Provera for years and years, they're actually at increased risk for osteoporosis. Well, that, as you say, is a big controversial issue, and it was intensified by the Food and Drug Administration putting in a black box warning saying that teenagers should not use uh, Depo-Provera for more than two years and that others, even in the older age groups, should use Depo-Provera for long periods of time with caution. Now, what happened in response to that was that the World Health Organization pulled together a group of the leading people in the world about Depo-Provera, and here's what they concluded. They concluded that a woman of any age can use Depo-Provera for periods of time longer than two years, and that included teenagers. The teenagers, there was a caution that the clinician and the patient should keep track of what's the most recent information, but it did not say that a teenager had to stop using Depo-Provera at two years. Now, I became very interested in this subject uh, through a conference that I do, and at a conference I announced that every state in the country permitted teenagers to use pills for more than two years, except one, that happened to be South Carolina, because it's just right next door to me, and then the people from South Carolina took that information back to their state family planning agency, and very quickly they changed it. So that, to my knowledge, there is no state family planning agency in the United States that tells 
clinicians that they can't use Depo-Provera for more than two years there. And so teenagers and adults are using it. In part, this has happened because the studies that look at women who have used Depo for long periods of time, after they stay off Depo for five years, they have the same bone structure as women who have never used Depo-Provera. So the bone comes back. Yeah. I want to thank Dr. Robert Hatcher, co-author of Contraceptive Technology, who has been our guest. We have been discussing controversies in contraception. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We would love to hear from you. For comments and questions about this program or suggestions for future shows, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. We really do read your email. Be safe. Be informed. Thank you for listening.